Well, welcome to the Leader Growth Podcast. I'm David Skidmore. This podcast is designed to help you overcome challenges and experience transformation. And as we are kicking off a new year, we know that one of the things that people are most passionate about, one of the things that people really want to experience is a transformation that does not just happen in their mind, but a transformation that happens in their body. When it comes to having this kind of a conversation, when it comes to having this kind of a transformation, I could think of no one better than one of my really good friends, Elijah Weaver, uh, who's going to jump on the podcast here with us today. I'm so honored to have him here with us because Elijah is someone who walks, talks, lives transformation. He's all about it. He's passionate about the art of excellence. He is a personal trainer. He has a background extensively uh, studied at institutions such as Yale, where he got a master's degree at Ralston's uh, Ralston College as well, where he got a master's in humanity. This man is brilliant. You're going to love learning from him today as we jump into today's topic, which is transform your body, transform your life. Elijah, welcome to the Leader Growth Podcast. Glad to be here, David. All right. Well, here we are. New year, new goals. People are looking to build this year. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about how to build this year. What from the beginning, what do people need to be thinking about as they're thinking about transforming their bodies, as they're experiencing uh, what wanting to experience some significant changes in their life? What's important for them to just start thinking about when it comes to building a transformation? I think about this question a lot because I'm always trying to figure out as a coach how to help my clients optimize for results. And so I think there are two major things that everybody needs who wants to initiate a transformation within themselves. Number one, you need information. You need to know how to do what you want to do to get the results you want. Number two, you need drive. And frankly, I think drive is actually harder to come by or at least more frequently ignored than the information piece. So and that makes sense because we're a culture of information. Information is everywhere. We're inundated with it. So I think it's really easy to say, hey, I want to make a change, do tons of research. And what you're missing all along is that drive. And drive is going to make up for a lot of the information in the long run. Um, information doesn't create action. Drive does. That's good. You know, as, as I'm thinking about it, like people talk about uh, new year, new me, uh, I want to experience this big transformation. Uh, as you know, I went through a big physical transformation this past year, but it's not just about having a physical transformation. It's about experiencing a transformation that is holistic. We don't just want to succeed uh, with our bodies. We want to succeed in every area of our lives. However, uh, you and I both, and, and we talk about this frequently, about the importance of a physical transformation, about the importance of physical health. Um, if we're going to live transformed, why is, it, why is our fitness, why is our health important to a transformed life? Well, two things come to mind here. Number one is, and we might preach this, but I think we rarely live it, is that mind and body are, are intimately and intricately linked. So I think in the same uh, lineage as the philosophers that the body is really just a reflection of the mind, a kind of material reflection of the mind. So wherever our mind is, our body will be, and really vice versa. I mean, however, our 
our our bodies are, our minds will follow. They're they're somehow linked. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to go too deep into that because I think at the end of the day, it's a mystery, but it's intuitive. And too often we live in a way that completely uh, uh, separates the mind from the body. Um, and then uh, the second thing is, is a little more practical. It's like if we want to be successful in our professional life, uh, our relationships, uh, I mean, go down a long list, our faith, whatever that might be for you, uh, having the body in tune and fit is going to remove a lot of the distractions that get in the way of us optimizing for those other areas, which at the end of the day, 99% of people are going to admit are more important than fitness. Absolutely. I'm one of those 99%. Fitness is not an end. It's always a means to an end that far transcends my body. But if I can get this in shape, which fitness, I think it's not just having good cardio, good physique. It's also waking up on time. It's being in as much control of the body and those appetites that drag me down as I can in order that I have more time, energy, and focus to focus on those other things, my relationships, my professional life, my spiritual life, and so on. Mm, that's really good. You know, I think about when people are starting a, a fitness journey, uh, a lot of people say, I, I, I want this change. I want to experience a transformation. And it's because of those things that, that you just mentioned. I, I want to get better in every area of my life, but I know that my energy is low. I know that I don't feel good. Uh, I know that sometimes I don't feel good in my clothes when they don't fit when, when they don't fit the way that I want them to. And so part of this is I want to experience more confidence. I want to uh, experience more joy. I want to experience the endorphins that come along with that fitness journey. However, uh, there are reasons why people don't start. In your experience, you're a personal trainer. Why is it that people uh, often don't start? There's a myriad of reasons, and I can't speak for any one person. I will touch on something I said previously, which is that something I'm seeing more and more is that a lot of guys fail to cultivate ongoing drive. And the reason I think they fail to cultivate it has to do with them not spending enough time in the period that I like to call vision casting. So vision casting is when you are envisioning in your mind, even maybe you're writing it out, whatever whatever you have to do to realistically envision something, you're envisioning who you're going to become in the future. Now, there's a difference here. I like to separate dreaming from goal setting. I think dreaming has this high in the sky connotation of, oh, I have a dream that I'll drive a Lamborghini and live in you know, Fiji someday. Yeah, sure. Goal setting is a, is a real thing that is achievable and that if you put your hand to the plow, you're going to achieve. And so if guys can get this distinction cleared up and they put dreaming aside and they real realistically look at their life and they start vision casting, which is really just setting goals for themselves in the future, the more clearer that you can imagine that goal of who you want to become and who you know you can become, the more that vision is going to generate drive. So every single day that I wake up, I'm envisioning the future self. I'm not kidding. Every day. People ask about motivation. It's like you get to a point where you don't need external motivation. You are just being fueled by the drive that's being generated from the clarity of the vision that you have of your future self. Ooh, I love that because I'm big on vision. And I've noticed that in, in my life when I've had dips and, and even this year, 
I've experienced dips in the transformation process. You know, it's not just, uh, it's, it's not as steady sometimes as I want it to be. There are ups, there are downs. There are days where I wake up and I don't feel it, but I do notice that when I have that clear vision and when it's a compelling vision, that's when, uh, I'm leaning in and I'm feeling energized, um, and desiring for de- desiring. And as, as you said, driven, uh, to make that change. Now, Let's talk about transformation for you. You're walking people through this. I mean, this is an exciting thing to be able to help people transform their their bodies because when you do, you do end up transforming your life so often. So often that's what what ends up happening for you though. Why are you passionate about helping people experience this kind of a transformation? I firmly believe that human beings have a deep reservoir unquantifiable reservoir of untapped potential. And I get this idea from many of the ancients, but especially Aristotle, who believed that the ideal of human beings lies far off in the horizon and that we are barely scraping the surface of what human beings are meant to do. And Aristotle paints this beautiful picture he calls of evdaimonia, which is, which is, uh, the good life, the good being, being, um, being fulfilled, living a fulfilling life. And if humans are to get their their lives in order, then they're they're able to maybe not achieve this life perfectly, but they're able to inch ever closer to that ideal version of of their life, of a human life. And I think fitness plays a huge role in this of slowly realizing or actualizing that reservoir of potential that's just sitting stagnant, waiting to be used, waiting to be fulfilled. It's like, you know, a flower waiting to be waiting to bloom or a painting waiting to be drawn. And that is really how I see human life. Um, I, I see it as as a uh, a possible upward trajectory that you, every single person, has the option to take. And nobody's going to arrive. That's the beauty of it. There's no single person in the history of of human time that has arrived at the ideal human. But I do believe that people are on far different, uh, far different parts of that journey. And so that's where that's why I get so passionate about it is because I know how little I've done in the grand scheme of things to try to affect some of that change. I still know most days. I'll be honest. I feel like I got 50% or more in the tank because it's hard. Absolutely. But that little bit that I've put in has made dramatic differences across the entire spectrum of my life. And I, I, I believe that there's not a single person out there that can't start tapping into that potential and realizing things about themselves, actualizing things about themselves, becoming successful in areas of their life that they would have never thought imaginable because they simply didn't take the time to imagine it or they didn't start by believing in the principle that they are simply a reservoir of potential waiting to be actualized so with that belief it's like it's hard not to look at the world look at people and just get excited about the opportunity you know when i think about getting excited about the opportunity when i think about tapping into the reservoir that's inside of us you know there's as you said, and that, that's one of the things that lights me up, Elijah, is this belief that there's more potential, there's more opportunity. And when we look at, at life, 
the beautiful life. I want to be a contributor. I want to be someone who's maxing out, who's making the most of this life. Um, but I look back in, in my life and unfortunately, you know, this, this fitness transformation for, for me, it's just really begun in the past year. I could say that, that I really tapped in starting in 2016 and it's been up and down at different points, but going to a new level really started this past year. And I do have a bit of a regret that I waited so long to do it because I see how this uh, has impacted every other area of life. Now, I know for, for you, the fitness journey wasn't always one of the things that was at the uh, center or it wasn't necessarily the clarifying lens. So for you, when, when, when did you really lock in uh, on a fitness transformation? Well, similar to you, I can't pinpoint a specific time. It's been somewhat of a, a, a journey over the last few years, but I will say something did click that I can recognize. And that was having studied philosophy, as you mentioned, I have over the last decade uh, in a formal environment. I've spent a lot of time reading uh, in the field of religious studies, humanities, philosophy, human history. And if you get down to brass tacks, all of that is is really concerned with optimizing the human being. And another way to say that is how do we become fulfilled? How do we find meaning? How do we do what we were meant to do. That is the question that drives philosophy forward. Pick up a book and read it and tell me that there's not that theme. At least it's one of the top three themes throughout. And if it's not, it's probably not worth reading, frankly. But here's the thing. I spent a lot of time reading, writing, thinking. And all the while, I was caught up in a lot of cycles of negative habits or setbacks. Uh, could not get myself to get up on time consistently. Didn't get mm. much good sleep ever. Couldn't get myself to say no to that meal that I knew was going to make me feel like crap in 30 minutes. Uh, yeah. You know, couldn't I, I could go. I could literally sit here for an hour with you, David, and just name what I call vices. I want to call them straight up that I just couldn't get out of the cycle. Now, I thought I was doing a lot of good work up here, thinking about morality, you know, doing the right thing. And sure. But at the end of the day, like life is lived. And if, if I feel like I'm stuck in this cycle of submitting to bad or unhealthy appetites, then something is not connecting between what I'm reading and how I'm living. And so for me, it was first that personal realization. And second, going a little deeper into what I was reading, especially ancient philosophy, really within the last 24 months and realizing Philosophy is all about getting your appetites in order in the main way that people have historically done this is by disciplining their body. So I'll just say this. Look, Plato was a wrestler. Aristotle was an avid walker who talked incessantly about exercise. One of the ancient contemporaries called him a head with legs because all he did was walk. Socrates, the greatest philosopher of all time, was a hoplite soldier who had stories told about him for the great physical feats that he performed. Homer prioritizes the number one virtue of the ancient Greek world, athletic excellence. Areti is the word. And if you look at this, you realize all of these guys were talking about philosophy 
having presupposed that the first step to thinking about the big picture things is getting your body in order, not because the body's more important than the mind, but because as we talked about earlier, if you can get those bad habits in order, then you're going to stop veering off track and having to spend so much of your time trying to control the bad appetites. So that for me, when I personally was stuck in that rut and then I went a little deeper in the philosophy, it just became a no-brainer. And I was already submitting myself to physical discipline a little bit, but it all of a sudden became more principled. And I mean, it changed everything for me. You know, fitness is action-oriented. The the physical workouts, it's, it's action-oriented. As you mentioned earlier, there's this appetite, endless appetite, I might even say, in our generation uh, for more information. Just how can I possibly learn more or maybe I can numb out to what I'm feeling by scrolling through Instagram, uh, going through TikTok, watching more reels, just getting more information. We're living in the attention economy. Information <laughs> is endless. <clears throat> when you look at the fitness journey, it's about action. And so um, how do you gauge it? You, you mentioned earlier, it's important to have a plan, but how do you work that out from the difference between getting a plan perfect and I just need to go ahead and get started doing something? Finished is better than perfect. For some reason, we look at fitness like we look at few other things in life. Uh, which mm. is that unless it's perfect, unless I perfectly follow the plan, unless I check all the boxes, it's either not working or I have to start over. But we don't deal with life almost anything else that way. You know, we don't miss a meal during the day and then say, oh, shoot, I'm not going to eat for the rest of the day. No, you just eat whenever you're hungry. You try to ride it. You know, if you go to bed late one night, you don't say, well, screw it. I'm just going to go to bed late every night from now on. No, you ride it the next night. For some reason with fitness, we like to have a perfect plan uh, or else a lot of people don't want to go forward. And I'll tell you this, man, I was one of those people. I would get a plan uh, for years. I was in this cycle. And if I didn't do it for a day of the four, so if I did three out of four days, I'd feel, oh, shoot, I need to start over. Now, it was different for me. It wasn't, I didn't have the inclination to quit. I had the inclination to start the week over the next week. I got to sort of start all over till I get a perfect four days. Mm. I don't, I cannot diagnose why we think of fitness this way, but I think part of it is that uh, we haven't looked at fitness uh, in a data in, data out way as a culture, which is that the simple fact is, if you move more, if you burn more calories, if you get to the gym and lift weights, things are happening at a molecular level, not even to mention the the spiritual level or the macro biological level. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to get into that, but things are happening at a molecular level that are are making changes. They're, they're, they're impacting change. And so I think we need to look at fitness a little bit more like every single step you take has an impact rather than unless you follow the perfect plan, you're not going to get to the result. It's like, no, every single step, you're getting closer to that end goal, your destination. You know, I, I really like what you're saying there. Uh, I was plan obsessed. Like I would not start something unless I had the perfect plan. And part of it for, for me was the more that I felt confident in that plan, the more that in, in my mind, I was 
uh, sidestepping some of the physical hurdles that I was going to have to, to face or just the outright pain that I was going to have, have to face. And so I would build out uh, a perfect plan or find, you know, the perfect plan online. And then I would start doing it. And I, because I would go zero to 100, I'd end up overwhelmed, you know, and I, I, I'd knock it out of the park for three days. And then on day four, my body's hurting. I don't have uh, anybody that, that I'm reaching out to. And so what, what do I do? I take day four off. And then I certainly like three weeks later, I'm not working out at all. I'm just building ruts. Right. Life. And I'm not doing it on purpose, but I think a lot of people are in that place. They're not doing it on purpose, but they still end up there. So um, what's the tension? Uh, because you, you do guide people and you do help people get a really good plan. So how do you uh, work that out between I don't want, I, I don't need it to be perfect to start, but also I need to have a good plan that's going to guide me as I go forward. Well, I'll answer this with an analogy. Uh, I'm in Colorado right now. If I decided next week to drive out to Oklahoma for Christmas, I really need two things. One, I need my destination, which is Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma City. So that's my destination. I know I'm getting there. As soon as I turn the engine on, I'm getting there. But I also need to plan and I need to prepare. So my car, you know, it's actually in the shop right now. And so if if I hadn't taken it into the shop and the check engine light were on, then that would be me failing to be responsible to prepare for the trip that I know I'm taking. Granted, I might start that trip and I'll still get there eventually, but I'm going to have a lot of setbacks on the way. I'm going to need a lot more resources along the way. Tire might go out, engine might stall out, have to call a tow truck. There's going to be a lot more obstacles. So I think the goal is that you're you're getting both of those in place. You're getting your destination, which is what we've already talked about quite a bit. That's that vision of you. You know you're headed to. Maybe it has specifics. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to gain 10 pounds, et cetera, et cetera. But then you're trying to get your plan in place in order to be the most effective and the most efficient with your time and resources. So you can have one without the other, but the goal is that I am trying to first get that buy-in, have clients articulate that vision and start generating that drive. And then we're going to look at the practical granular side of things and say, well, hey, what's the best way for you in your particular situation to get there in the most efficient and effective way possible? No, that's good. You know, people are right now packing out the gym. It's the beginning of January. I get it. Like it's, it's, it's crazy time at the gym. It's going to be empty in just a few weeks, empty gym the way I like it. But here's the reality is, um, people are running into roadblocks. They are not aware, uh, of what's coming along the way a lot of people are making uh, either resolutions or goals, or they set a new vision. What are some of the things that you, in, in your experience, people are going to run into and how can we help in advance uh, to make sure that, that we're planning um, a path to overcome those things? One thing that comes immediately to mind is how much we have conflated goals with habits. Ooh. So people will say, I have a goal of working out four times this week. And I'll come back and say, no, that's a habit. Your goal is something that you're trying to achieve by instituting those habits. So I think a lot of people are actually walking around without setting goals. What they have is a list of 
way too many habits without a destination. So this is, go back to my analogy, when I get in the car without a destination. Like, sure, I can get in the car, but I'm not going anywhere. It's not going to be successful. You're, from the very first day, signing yourself up for failure. So what I would say is that you should first set your goal, figure out what you want. And you can figure out generally, this is the vision of myself. I imagine I could become, and then you go more specific, like we just mentioned, I want to lose these pounds. I want to do this. I want to do this less. And then comes the habit part, which is, well, what do I practically need to do in order to get there? And the great thing with habits is that they're compounding. So maybe you start with going to the gym twice a week. Again, this is not a goal. Your goal is not to go to the gym. Your goal is to lose 10 pounds. The habit you're instituting is to go to the gym. You go twice a week, do that for a few weeks. Bam, it's second nature now. Let's add a third day. And this is something that I prioritize a lot is that I try to set people up for achievable habits so that they are constantly celebrating wins and not setting themselves up for failure. I guarantee you this, David, and I was one of these people. Most people at the new year can fill a page and they might be doing this, filling a page with new year goals but they are starting from zero and trying to get to 60 with no plan of action, no habits. I used to do that. I would say learn Spanish in 2024, you know, become Arnold Schwarzenegger, all these things that were just totally out of my wheelhouse. And then you get a weekend and it's like, well, none of that's going to happen. It was way too much. And I'm beating myself up for already failing on the things I've committed to. That's a huge thing I see is people setting themselves up for failure and then letting that failure eat them up in here and then not having that drive to move forward. Mm. I want to talk about motivation. Uh, motivation is one of those things that uh, sometimes it's the reason or the uh, it's, it's the reason we, we do something. Uh, sometimes it's also the excuse for why we don't do something. Uh, I just didn't feel motivated today. I got to find something to get me motivated. Uh, my experience, there are plenty of days where I did not feel a motivation. Uh, maybe my dopamine levels had had dropped after uh, stringing together a week of hard workouts, whatever it may be. I just wasn't feeling it. For for you, when when, when you're working with someone and they're at a point where, where they're like, Elijah, I'm just not motivated anymore. Uh, help us overcome motivation or the lack thereof. Me and motivation don't have a good relationship. Because I don't think motivation gets you very far, especially external motivation. So if we are equating motivation with that internal drive rooted in the image of yourself that you know you can become, then I'm all about that. If that's a motivator, then yes, my main goal is to stoke that flame every day. Most times when guys lose motivation, they haven't envisioned that picture of themselves enough up here, or they don't believe it. We way too often use the word if instead of when, if I get fit, if I lose, lose weight, never going to happen. If you're, if you're making those statements based on if, if you start saying when I lose weight, all of a sudden you're actually believing that that future you is not a possibility, but it's going to happen. So that's one thing is like most of the time when people don't have motivation, it's because they haven't. Envisioned that image of themselves enough, nor believed in it. They're relying on external motivation. 
But we have heard this from time immemorial since people have been writing books. External motivation will come and go. It's whimsical. It's unreliable. It cares nothing for you. The reel that motivates you, the song that motivates you, none of that cares about you. It has nothing to do with you, in fact. So that's not to say I won't throw in some David Goggins um, if in the middle of a run I'm feeling down, but I, I'm feeling like I don't want to run any further, and I do that. But that's because I know it's going to drive my dopamine up for the next five minutes and sort of give me that spark I need. But I'm not relying on it as a end-all solution. And so that's the first thing I'd say is if you're relying on motivation outside of yourself, if you don't yet have a vision of yourself that you can become that's driving you, then uh, you're not going to get very far, frankly. And the second thing I'd say is whenever people do get in that rut, it just might not be time for them yet. And I think you can probably attest to this yourself. I can attest to it myself. Like sometimes you just need to get into that rut until enough. You need to do it enough until you realize it, until the right time comes. I'm very much a, a believer in right timing and I'm not going to pull somebody's arm and leg until they can motivate themselves. If I can just intuit that, hey, it's not the right time. Yeah, the big reasons that that we change uh, either the pain of where we are uh, is too significant or the vision of what we want to experience is, is so profound that we're willing to make that change. Let me ask you this, Elijah. Uh, in, in fact, in all of our text uh, workouts so far, phone calls with the group, whatever it may be, I don't think I've ever asked you this. What do you do? What do you say to yourself on the days when you don't want to work out? Or do you just I, I always? I, say that again? Sorry. Do, do you always? You know, is this just something where like Elijah, no matter what, wants to get after it? No, the answer to that is no. Uh, but for me, it's not a question anymore because I'm not, again, that mindset is one relying on motivation. And I know that probably more than 50% of the time, I'm not going to want to do it. Um, if I told you what I told myself, then you'd have to cut it out. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, is sometimes it's, it's the harshest words coming from yourself, who's your greatest admirer and fan that are going to uh, soak that flame that you need. But um, I will say this, and I'm not just saying this for the sake of this pod. I do a lot of that envisioning. I spend a lot of time thinking about where I'm going. And every day it seems to become more and more of a possibility. So even on the days where I'm feeling crummy, I spend enough time thinking about it and believing in it and having faith in it that I know that I can do more. And I know that my wants are temporary. They're transient. They're going to come and go. I'm hungry one minute. I'm satiated the next. I'm mad one minute. I'm happy the next. Ask my wife. She says I can be moody. I know that for a fact. My moods, though, if I were to make actions that are going to affect me for years to come based on my temporary moods in the moment, I would be a mess. And really, I think a lot of us do that. So we think that pain and pleasure is the sole catalyst for action in our lives. So we're just living I don't want to get up. I'm not going to. I don't want to work out. I'm not going to. I'm going to eat the pizza. I'm going to. 
just go down a line of pain and pleasure. But this is why I think it's so important to believe that there's there's some kind of transcendent horizon that human beings have that's greater than the physical body, greater than pain and pleasure. And I do a lot of work trying to base my actions on that transcendent horizon. Um, I call it spirit. Call it what you want. But the point is that we're trying to escape the endless cycle of pleasure and pain, which has no ultimate end except for to be satiated in the moment. Hmm. I want to I, I want to dive in a little bit more into uh, transformation and what happens when we experience transformation. Okay, there, there's a picture of you. You posted it at least once. Uh, it's you at the tennis court a few years ago. And then there's this other one where, you know, um, it's six pack Elijah. Uh, it's, it's Elijah after he's experienced, uh, being the dog in the gym day after day for a sustained period of time. Um, something I never realized when I was, when I was inconsistent with my workouts and I wasn't really building was some of the joy that you get to experience. Uh, as you go to new levels in a workout, as you go to new levels in your fitness, in your ability, would you walk me through um, some of the things that you've gotten to experience? And also with that, either the joy or the gritty side that sometimes, unfortunately, we just don't talk about. Hmm. Well, one way I can think of putting it, we'll see if I can articulate this, is that lifting, I mentioned earlier that there's compounding interest of habits. So you put a dollar in, you're going to get $2 out. You put $2 in, you're going to get four out, however you want to imagine it. So it's not just linear progression. It's not like uh, there's not just a, a singular effect of any given stage of progress. There's this exponential effect in many effects that you don't even... You can't even envision uh, before you reach reach those. And so one thing, for instance, is look back at that picture of me on the tennis court. Sure, you see a scrawny 25-year-old Ivy League grad, uh, whatever, go down the list of things that that you see in that in that photo. What you don't see is an insomniac, a chronic anxious thinker, a chronic overthinker, somebody unsatisfied in his career, somebody suffering from insecurity, somebody unhappy with his finances. I mean, I now granted, there's a lot of positives too. married to a beautiful woman, um, you know, great family living in, in LA, but I don't want to just focus on, on the negatives, but the truth is like what that picture doesn't even show you is the assortment of other things that are dragging me down that characterize me in that moment. And so I'll go to the gym and I start getting after it. And, you know, my bench press gets heavier and I'm able to pull more on deadlift. I'm able to do more pull-ups. And all of those are these moments worthy of celebration. My muscles are getting bigger. I look better. But what's even more important and what you can't even see in those photos are all those other ways that it's impacting me. My sleep is getting better. And guess what? When my sleep gets better, I have more energy for my wife. I'm able to focus more on my work and my salary goes up. It's like if we, again, if we were just to sit and talk about all the ways that are unseen, when you look at a photo of before and after, we would be here forever. I can't quantify them. 
So that's the biggest thing is like, I love going to the gym. I love pushing weight around. I love working out. It's a lot of fun seeing the physical changes, but especially at this point, it's so much more about all the ways that it affects me outside of the gym that are worthy of celebration, not just from me, but from those who, who are dependent on me, from those for whom I'm responsible, for my friends and so on. Life transformation is just uh, some, something I'm committed to. You know, this season is called Live Transformed. I think about confidence uh, and, and how confidence can be built when we go along in, in a fitness journey. I think about in 2016, uh, that's the first time that, that I really started lifting weights. I had, you know, done, done a little bit, but I got consistent in it for uh, a decent amount of time. I think it was, you know, probably four months or so. Um, and I remember at one point being at the gym and picking up 50 pound dumbbells, right? And I picked up 50 pound dumbbells and Elijah, it's the first time in my life that I was like, whoa, I just did that. You know, uh, do you remember, let's just, let's go vulnerable. Do you remember like the first moment that you went like, oh man, I might actually end up being strong. Like this might actually, this might play out differently than what I would have even guessed it would be from, from the beginning. So I'm pretty sure it had, it, it was a time when I did uh, an inordinate amount of pull-ups and realized that I was doing more pull-ups than everybody else in the gym. Now, I use pull-ups as an example because pull-ups are actually the thing that I first started doing when I first started working out. Yes. I don't know why. I've always loved the idea of body weight, but I'm you know, 180 pounds, really scrawny. I get in the gym and I would just do pull-ups. I do three sets to failure, get 10, eight, eight, whatever. Then I got to a point where I was doing 10 sets of 10. And I remember this happening. And I remember a trainer, I was in LA and a trainer actually commented on it. Like how many sets of, of pull-ups are you doing? I was like, I'm just doing 10 of 10 to get to a hundred. And yes. he couldn't believe it. Uh, and so there was that pull-ups have always been that thing for me where if I also want to go in and, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling strong, I'm feeling discouraged, I'm feeling whatever down, you go in and do pull-ups because I know that I can do pull-ups, you know, better than 99% of people around me. No, I mean, that's not important. But there was definitely a time where, you know, I used to do 25 pull-ups and then I was doing 100, then 200, then 300. And all those stages of pull-ups have been a great indicator of progress for me and a huge boost in my uh, confidence, but also just my belief in my progress. That's good. You know, this this summer, I think in our first or second workout, you and I did uh, together, just meeting up there at at, uh, at Voss on 23rd Street, getting gritty there. Uh, I think you were doing... Um, 300 pushups for your 30th year of, of life. And, you know, Elijah, I just got to say, uh, when you first started on, on your fitness journey, you were doing like three sets. You said 10, 8, 8. I just want to say to the people out there who are like, I can't even imagine doing that. Um, a year ago, when I started my fitness journey, um, like really going after it, I couldn't do a pull-up singular. I couldn't do a singular pull-up. And um, that day you did... I think 300 or more than 300, right? 300. Yeah. 300 and, yeah. Yeah. And I got, I, I got like 115. Um, and so what I'm, what I want you to, to hear as, as we're talking about this is uh, wherever you start, you can build. 
you may not build exactly at the pace or the rate uh, of Elijah or someone else, but uh, you are going to be able to build. You're going to be able to, to grow in strength. And one of the things go, going back to it is uh, I found within that just this greater level of confidence because it was like, wow, I can do hard things at the gym. I can do hard things in, in other areas of life where, you know, maybe I maybe I don't feel like I can uh, accomplish that goal in the past. Maybe that's in business. Uh, maybe that's with, with, with family, what, whatever it may be. Um, that physical foundation is going to help you build in every other area of life. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's, uh, let's shift gears. Um, like we said, this, this goal isn't just about a body transformation, um, but there's an internal transformation. Uh, as we integrate fitness, what becomes possible in our lives, Elijah? Well, a lot. I think I, I can't iterate enough how much we are dragged down, not by our bodies. Don't hear me wrong here. That's been a really bad philosophy we've had circulating for a long time that uh, we're, we're minds trapped in bodies that are, that are bearing us down. Absolutely not. What we are dragged down by is, is bodies that we do not have control over. Now, granted, there's a lot of things in our bodies disability, disease, many things we don't have control over. And that's just the state of things. So I don't want to disregard that. But there's also a lot of things that we do have control over if we start implementing discipline. And so what's possible, if you can get your fitness in order, your body in order, is, I mean, again, it's like I, I can't even vocalize it. It's going to be different for everybody, but it's things you can't even... Whatever that picture is that you're envisioning of yourself, the great thing about the journey is that every check mark of progress, that vision grows because all of a sudden you're unlocking parts of yourself that are enhancing the vision before you. And that vision, like I alluded to earlier, uh, what what's possible in that is it's going to affect the quality of your relationships. Um, I, I will just say this, David. Whenever I started working out hard in 2020, and I, I got really serious about this journey, um, my my relationship, the most important few relationships to me changed dramatically. Now, again, part of that was because of the things that were affected outside of my fitness uh, that were, were getting more optimized, sleep, anxiety, et cetera. I was able to focus more of my time and attention and love on those that needed it. Second thing is, my job, my job performance and my um, income was raised dramatically. Now, that's something that's uncomfortable to talk about for a lot of people to say, hey, your physical fitness is is tied to your financial success. And the thing is, for a lot of people, it won't be. There's a lot of variables that I can't I can't discuss, you know, for given that, that people are facing. But again, for a lot of people, it will be. And I was one of those people got my body in order was was less enslaved to its passions, its unhealthy passions. I was able to focus more time on performance. That was recognized, that was seen, and the rest is history. So um, it's funny because I think fitness takes the most time out of these things. It's like fitness is the thing I'm working on every day for hours a day, but it's the least important of these things. And I already said that earlier. But what I mean by that is like, I'm not going to the gym to get a perfect physique. 
I think you know this about me, but I could actually care less about that. I mean, I think it's great. It's a perk, but that's all it is to me, a perk. What I'm really interested in is going to the gym early in the morning before my wife wakes up so I can come back and be a good husband and perform well at the things I love and help other guys get after it. Yes. You know, getting after it, one of the things that, as, as we talked about earlier, you highlighted goals and habits. Uh, I want to dig in a little bit more as we're talking about the internal shift. Uh, some people uh, write down New Year's resolutions. I remember growing up, we did New Year's resolutions. My gosh, I think I used to fill a sheet of like 25, 30 things. And it's like, I will do these things every day of, of the year. I will be the most consistent person on the planet. And that lasted about 24 hours. Um, I, I think about... I think about the times in my life when I fell off the wagon most when it came to a fitness journey. Uh, it had to do with um, trying to add too many things at one time. So yep. when we talk about building a habit, uh, what what are some things that that we should think about as we're thinking about that big goal and then taking those steps uh, of building a habit as we go along? Well, here's one thing I'll just say straight up. If you're... If you are thinking about New Year's resolutions, and I hope you are, then scratch everything. If you're, if if you, if one of those is is getting in better fitness, whatever that is, everybody's in a different place. Scratch everything except for that one, because I cannot stress enough how much focusing on that thing is actually going to achieve or get you a lot closer to those other things that you're yes. going to spin your wheels trying to achieve. And I think part of the problem is what you said, we fracture ourselves, our time and attention. And partly we do that out of a fear or insecurity of all the time that needs to go into the one thing we know we need to do that's going to require pain, sacrifice, and a lot of time. So if you can focus in, get blinders on, on your fitness, then I would say, do that, figure out your goal, and then spend all of your resources, time, energy on figuring out how to achieve that goal as quickly as possible in the new year. And 90% of people who do that are going to achieve it. And then you can focus on other things. Yeah, that is something that as I look back, I try to add in a lot of habits. I heard Craig Rochelle say a few years ago, he just adds one habit a year. And I remember thinking, I get it. You're going slow. That's probably, you know, I, I was a little skeptical. I was like, maybe that's just what, what he says to, to the leadership audience, you know, uh, with the idea of, I'm trying to pace this for for you all. I was like, the guy's got to add in five five new habits. That's the pace of growth. Elijah, I'm with you. Uh, I agree with with what Groeschel says on this. Add in one. Focus in on that one. If yours is a physical transformation, I mean, that was what took all of my energy. If I would have been trying to add in a lot of other things this past year, it would not have have worked. And so, because of that, now there's a foundation. This year, I'm looking forward to it. I'm only adding one. I'm only adding one. Um, and that's, that's my plan as I go forward each year is to add one and, and make it a habit that unlocks other growth, yes. other things inside of your life. So an example of that, David, which you know this well because you're a morning person, but if you're having a hard time getting up in the morning and you want to start getting up, make that your single habit because what you're not factoring in it's how much is going to change for you when you start getting up in the morning because you're getting back time, you're getting back order, you're getting back organization. I could go down a list again of all the things that you're gaining that you probably can't even think of is if you can get that morning in check. And that's just an example 
of a habit that actually takes quite a bit of effort to fix, to get in order. But once you do, the results are, are, are splendid. I mean, you, you know that better than anyone. And um, that's something that was actually came after fitness for me, was getting my mornings in order. And I cannot say enough how much that has positively influenced my life. Yeah, shifting mornings, creating more time, doing things that create uh, and, and unlock more opportunity in your life. Those habits, um, you have to add them if you want to be successful long term. Uh, as we're talking about this, this fitness journey, you know, I'm thinking about some, some people right now who are listening and they're saying, I hear what you guys are, are saying. Um, I've tried the fitness thing before. It's really hard for it to, to stick. And Elijah, you're talking about getting to a point where it's not about the physical transformation. It's not about having washboard abs or, you know, whatever else. But really, that's what I want. I, I, I want it to get there. So I think at, at the beginning, you know, sometimes people start, but they don't get to see their progress that they make along the way. How important is it to document what the progress looks like and not just have a perfect plan and process? Do you need that? Or is that something that, you know, is a little bit overrated where people talk about progress pictures and maybe we don't actually need those things as, as much? Help me understand on, on that. I think progress is absolutely pivotal and recording your progress. Absolutely. What I mean earlier is, is not to disregard progress or end result, but it's to say, I think most people would admit that what they want is not washboard abs. What they want is to feel better. What they want is to look better. What they want, you know, it's other things. But we in our culture are obsessed with this specific way of looking. And the thing is, again, you very well might reach that. But that's, I don't think anybody would say, hey, I still want to feel like 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 crap, but have washboard abs. No, you want to feel good. And if I get abs in the process, that's great. And so that's the only reason I mentioned that earlier. Um, progress is, again, when we talk about motivation, and I stress, if we're going to use the word motivation, it should all be internal because that's what lasts. That's what's going to drive you. That progress of your seeing yourself, who you were last week, last month, last year, who you are now, that's this internal progress of uh, that's that's partly generating that drive that we're talking about, that drive to keep going because we're visual creatures. We live in a physical, material world. We are motivated by we we are we are driven to action by things that we see. It's just the fact of the matter. So if you're able to create. Uh, images of yourself that you can look back on. Um, and the thing is, if, if you, m people might be saying, Hey, I don't, I don't see progress. I I'm going to say this to anybody that's listening right now, take a picture of yourself today and go to the gym three days a week. I don't even care what you do. Just go do something for three days a week for a month and then take a picture of yourself and you will see progress somewhere. I mean, maybe you got to look deep into the biceps or forearms or something. I don't, I don't care, but you will see progress because that's how it works. Uh, part of it is that we have such insane standards of where we think we should be given the time we've invested. And like yeah. you said, uh, well, you kind of alluded to with the habit thing. People are rarely thinking long-term, man. We're not told to invest to make back a huge return next year financially. We're told to invest to make a huge return in three decades. And I think the hard part is people want that instant gratification, but almost anything that I get instantly or quickly does not satisfy me mm. in the same way 
of the things that I get after putting in hard, dedicated work over time. Because the result I get is 70% or more uh, all of that work and time and sacrifice I put into it. Mm. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, when, when someone goes through a transformation. Um, I'll, I'll tell you my, my experience on this one, Elijah. I get through October 31, which is my fitness competition with, with your brother, Jacob. Um, and I get to the other side of that. And when I get there, um, even though I know I'm going to keep going, there was something about me that was relieved because I wasn't in such an intense stage that I had been in for, uh, at that point, 10 months. I feel myself internally starting to take my foot off the gas uh, a little bit. I've had to come back, visualize new goals, set the bar higher, go after things. Um, I'm thinking about some, some people who they're, they're on this podcast, not because they're trying to get their first transformation, but they're actually wanting it to go deeper in what they're doing now. Um, for some people, they're at a point where they've achieved a level of success. The genetics are good, but they're coasting. So it's a new year. What are you going to say to this person who is thinking about, should I lock in and go to a higher level at this time? Yeah, I, I like to call them micro goals. I'm always setting new goals. So we we talked a lot about goal setting, vision casting. Um, what what I don't think I have talked about enough, or I've just kind of um, assumed, <clears throat> is the fact that the path is strewn with check marks. So it's like I'm not going to go on a marathon run, for instance, and not stop at the water cooler six miles in, twelve miles in, eighteen miles in, whatever. I'm not going to go on a hike and stop to rest and eat my sandwich, whatever. These are little check marks, little goals as we continue on really a journey that, in my opinion, the fitness journey has no end. I mean, we should always be getting after it. Um, so what I would say is like, get really excited about how malleable you are, how malleable your body is, how quickly you're able to gain strength, to try new things. Uh, maybe you're not running. And you can think about running. Maybe you can only lift this much in your squat. You can think about upping that. I mean, I'm talking these little things, little mm -hmm. goals that you can set with a clear timeline, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, that now you're altering your workouts in order to get there. I do that constantly. I'm not just waking up and mindlessly going to the gym. I have a notebook, an Excel sheet that's always filled with timelines and small goals that I'm checking off, that I'm building new programs. And part of that is we love we love exploring new things, whether you're into video games and you like to, I, I, I'm going to sound like a super ignorant here because I don't know. Okay. What I was going to say, if you're into video games, you like, like creating your avatar and optimizing that little guy you use on the screen or whatever, or building your Madden player profile. Or <laughs> oh, he's going in on the video game. He, he just called it a little, you just called it a little guy out there. That's amazing. Keep or, going. Keep yeah. Or you like to cook and, or bake and you, you like to optimize the ingredients for that best result. Um, or you like to build the list of films that you're watching and try to watch all the film. What I'm trying to say is we love like yep. going deep into things external to ourselves. And what I'm really passionate about is like turning that eye inward and getting obsessed with exploring 
excellence in yourself, exploring optimization in yourself in the same way that we do with the world. Because the thing is, the value that you're going to get out of yourself is magnitudes greater than anything that you're doing in the world. And so get treat yourself like an, an experiment that has a ton of possibilities um, and get excited about that. What I love about that, Elijah, is it's about bringing life back to uh, the level of adventure. It's about getting after it, but it's not just about getting after it for the sake of getting after it. It's okay. Th- there's a lot here. Let's explore what I might be, pa- what, what I might be capable, capable of. Now, as you were talking, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I hear what you're saying. That's not my process at all. I don't know if, if I've told you this or, or not. We were over um, at Jacob's just the other day uh, when, when you were visiting it in Oklahoma City. And I kind of needed a new little challenge. I needed a new little goal. Mine isn't about an Excel spreadsheet. I'll, I'll tell you that. But mine is finding out what Jordan is deadlifting and then saying, okay, I got to go after that. Yeah. Like for, for me, that, that conflict of seeing someone else sometimes who's doing more, people are like, well, don't compare. Uh, that's something that I actually enjoy in life is finding someone else who might be a little bit further along and then saying, okay, I'm going to go after that. I'm not sure totally if I'll be able to, uh, to get there. I think I will, but I, but I'm using, uh, some, sometimes I'm using someone else's success as a gauge for how, how far could I go? Absolutely. Yeah. And that brings up the idea of competition, even accountability, Uh, which yeah. I think is really underemphasized. And I'll be honest, David, a lot of what drives me in the morning when I get up and I'm about to get after it is making sure that you never arrive where I, that I'm always one step ahead of you as my competition, right? And if I wake up and I think you're ahead of me, that drives me to get ahead of you. And whether it's you or somebody else, I kind of say that facetiously, like surround yourself with people that are, that are, at right at your tail, right in front of you that are constantly doing this with you. And that's an extra source of drive, I think, because at the end of the day, it still does come down to personal excellence. You want to deadlift 415 pounds because you know you can do that. But the catalyst for that action is a little bit of healthy competition, a little bit of healthy shame. And I will say this, David, you just said, I'm not sure I'll be able to. And I'll say with that mindset, you probably won't. But if you say, yeah, I'm going to deadlift 415 and I'm going to text Jordan in March and say, hey, man, I just deadlifted 415, then then you're going to get it done, barring injury or something. Right, right. Yeah. I will say I, I texted Jordan after making a pretty sizable jump on, on Sunday morning just to let him know you're we coming. talked about last night. I'm after it today. Uh, I, I'm with you on that. And uh, given a little context there, Elijah and I are are part of a group. Uh, that is focused on uh, disciplining ourselves in multiple areas. And one of those areas includes uh, time that that uh, each man wakes up, uh, time that we um, go into a, a lot of different things, but they're all about building a more disciplined life because each of us is passionate about the art of excellence. Um, within that, um, I got to say, healthy competition is a really good thing. You You just mentioned something. Uh, we're right here close to the end of the podcast, but you mentioned the word accountability. And I want to tap in to what you were talking about when you said accountability. For a lot of people, accountability is a word uh, that they don't really get too excited about. Uh, it has a lot of negative connotations, I, I think, in our culture today. What does it mean uh, to be accountable and why is accountability important for for people in their journey? 
I think we have, again, we have, we've overemphasized for decades shame and shame is, is loosely connected with accountability. Um, yeah. And we, we've done that badly. I think our culture has done really bad at that. And a lot of, you know, millennials, for instance, I think are doing a lot of, of good work trying to um, erase or, or diminish the negative effects of a culture of shame that we've been raised in. On the other hand, uh, look at the great civilizations of of old, the, the Greeks, the Romans, um, even m- more recently, healthy shame. I mean, it, we're getting to semantics, but a kind of competition with your neighbor, with those mm-hmm. who are in some way at the same level or stage at you, was part of what fueled success in those in those civilizations. Again, I mentioned earlier, Homer, uh, the oldest pieces of literature that we have still today, um, the driving principle in those epics that have shaped, literally shaped the West, the driving principle is competition with one another. And competition is another way of saying accountability. Now, if you're in a professional sport, maybe you have competition with, you know, another team. And people just think of that as an antagonistic competition. But there's no way that that's all that is. What it is is saying, hey, I know David is better than me in these areas. And I want to elevate my game. I want to elevate yeah. my potential in order that I can, uh, well, match his, you know? Um, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's actually a, uh, what would you call it? A kind of dynamic relationship between competitors. It's not purely antagonistic. It's one where we're both fueling each other and being catalysts for our personal growth. It's really good. You know, I, I want to do a little... Um... We're not going to do a deep dive, but let's do a shallow dive into this conversation around shame. We might have to come back at a at a future point and talk about this a little bit more extensively. Brene Brown uh, redefined. I, I I believe she redefined collectively for the culture. That's this is um, played out a lot in social media and other areas. Uh, she she redefined the word shame, and the way she she did it is she said guilt means I did something bad. Shame means I am bad. Um, what we're talking about here, you're you're not just tapping in when you're saying um, a healthy side of shame. You're talking about not not shame as your human identity. You're you are talking though um, about some of the realities of shame, and, and I actually want to ask you on that, Elijah. I, we haven't dug into this enough. I'm curious from from your vantage point, uh, what are some of those healthy areas of shame, and and what can shame, uh, if you define it differently than Brene Brown, what can shame teach us? I might have somewhat of a hardened perspective on this, but uh, the origin of shame for me, when I talk about it, comes from, it assumes that you are worth, you are capable, not worth, you are capable of way more than, than, than you currently are achieving. Now, okay. I don't think most people, I don't think everybody can hear that message. Some people are just in the pits. They're in a place where that wouldn't be a healthy message to share. On the other yeah. hand, I think especially as men in our culture, we don't share that message enough. Yeah. Uh, somebody, uh, a, a friend of mine that truly loves me, that knows me, I would expect to honestly and transparently speak to me and say, hey, Elijah, You've done this, 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 and this. You've been given this, 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 and this. You have this, 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 and this talent. You are capable of way more than you are currently doing. Now, mm. if that comes from the wrong person, 
that ain't going to happen. But if that comes from the right person, that could be the spark that changes my life. And honestly, that has happened a couple of times, even in the last couple of years. Um, a single conversation of someone coming up to me and out of a loving respect for who I am and what I'm capable of has introduced some shame uh, that has changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I, I would love to, to tell you about those at another time, those conversations. Um, so yeah. that, that's what I mean. I don't think we have a good word for what I'm talking about because shame has been, it just has different connotations. But I think we need to get more comfortable um, with with trusting relationships of competition uh, with one another as men to push us to greater heights. Yeah. You know, within that, uh, around the idea of, of shame, um, one of the things that I can't say is, is great or healthy in our culture right now is that a lot of times it seems like shame is the equivalent of a negative feeling. And so what we're doing often is we're avoiding any sense of a negative feeling in our lives. And so because we avoid it, we often numb it or we suppress it or we say that doesn't belong. I don't want to feel bad at all. And unfortunately, my bad feelings sometimes are the check engine light, as you mentioned earlier. My bad feelings, that negative moment allows me to, to say, you know, maybe maybe I should do something a little bit different. Maybe uh, maybe it's time for a change to happen. And if I don't allow my, myself to consider, this is why I feel negative about this, or this is why I feel bad about this. Or maybe I do look at an area of, of my life and say, it looks like I'm underperforming on what I'm capable of. If the engine of a Ferrari is able to do 300, but it, or I, I actually don't study uh, Ferrari, so I, I, I don't know if, if they get there, but let's just say 300. If it can get to, to 300, but we only drive it ever at 50, it, congrats, you got a Ferrari, but what's it capable of? And, yeah. and I think that that's a little bit of, of, of what you're tapping into is how can we start engaging a lot more of our potential and maximize that? Uh, as you mentioned, not just maximize it, but optimize it so that we are high performers in every area of our life and that we really get to enjoy this journey a lot more. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. I would add you, you said this, but I would say, uh, allow those conversations of shame, accountability, competition, um, to be catalysts of action. I'm huge on turning. I used to be a chronic overthinker, so I'll be the first to say, I used to just think and think and reflect on things that I would have let that get me down, get deeper into the pits. But now I try to, anytime I'm having feelings of some kind, um, make it some kind of catalyst for, for action. That's really good. Use it as a catalyst for action. Well, we've been talking through a lot of things. We're, we're going to wrap up here on the conversation. Uh, but here's, here's something that I want to ask as we're landing the plane. Someone's sitting here and they're saying, you know, I've tried the fitness journey before. I try, I fall off. I try, I fall off. I just don't think I can get my hopes up again because I don't want, I don't want to experience the failure if I don't succeed this time. Stakes feel a little too high. What would you say to that person who does want change but is afraid uh, to go through the process of making that change? I would say that we, you're not in a unique position. We live in a culture, a society that doesn't really hold anybody to a standard. And the the sad part of that is if you don't hold anybody to a standard, 
then you also don't put visions of of what the human being can become in front of us. So we are not we are not a, a, a culture that emphasizes or encourages positive excellence in the human being. We like a completely even playing field. We probably do more to tear down than to build up. So you're not, it's not a unique position to be in. It's really hard to build and cultivate that hope in a culture that's not doing it for us. And we, other cultures have done that. So I want to say that first. Um, the second thing is, uh, we got to get the vision straight before before you can you can get out there. So some people might just say action, just get to the gym. No, not if you've been grinding your gears for years and you're just burnt out. So there's definitely a little bit of education uh, on the front end that has to happen of repairing your spirit, repairing your soul, repairing your vision. Um, and as somebody who really loves education, has spent a lot of time reading, a lot of time learning. Um, I really believe in the power of education, of recovering. What I like to say, we need to recover what we've lost, which is a vision of the human being that our culture is not promoting. So we'll do some work to recover that. And uh, and then you have to internalize it and believe it. And that's a faith-building journey, believe it or not. It's a faith-building journey in yourself. Um, and then the action comes in. And the action fuels the vision. That's the great thing. If you can get to the point where you're putting in the action, the action is going to fuel the vision and the vision is going to fuel the action. Uh, but that's the first thing, man, is is like, don't underemphasize education. Mm. That's good. Well, Elijah Weaver, always a pleasure to see you. Always a joy to talk with you. People are going to want to engage with you on social media. Uh, where... Where do we go to get connected with you on Instagram? What's your Instagram handle? Uh, can people find you on LinkedIn? Tell us all, all the details here. I'm on LinkedIn as Elijah Weaver, first and last name. Uh, Instagram, I do a lot. Of, I do daily content. I'd love to talk to you on Instagram. Um, Elijah.a.weaver. All right. Elijah.a.weaver. Elijah is building lives through the art of excellence. Trust me, you want to spend time with Elijah. Uh, we've gotten to do some work together already, and his work is top-tier work. As you can hear from this conversation today, uh, he's helping a lot of people overcome their challenges and experience transformation. Hey, it's been a joy being with you all today. Thanks for joining us on the Leader Growth Podcast. I'll be back here this coming Sunday. Until then, love hard, live full, and lead strong. Watch me demonstrate. See, I'm determined and dedicated. Watch what I create. And when resistance is persistent, I go harder in a pain. I just put you up on game so I can watch you elevate. Let's fly. Yeah. Wake up in the